Well, Rashad's not here. <laughs> so, there, yeah, yeah, I look a little different. Well, thank you. Yeah, there's going to be no, uh, no good morning church on the rock, but I want to see if we can do something a little different because it is Pastor Appreciation Month, right? It's Pastor Appreciation Month, and, and guys, this church has been blessed with some of the, the greatest pastors that I've ever been privileged to meet in Rashad and in Jason Servisi. You know, I live an hour and 15, 20 minutes away, and I drive here every weekend faithfully until COVID happened, sorry, but, <laughs> but every weekend faithfully because of the atmosphere, because of the family. While we were sitting there worshiping, you know, during COVID, I would drive around my car and listen to worship music and just cry because I missed being here so much with my family, because I missed the fellowship and the feeling that you get when you're in these walls, right? Because this is a church built on love. This is a church built on love. So what I want to do is, is since the sermon series, we don't have the slide up yet, but the sermon series that we're going to be in this month is called 2468, Who Do We Appreciate, okay? So I'm going to say that, and then I want you guys to scream like you would, good morning, Rashad, but I want you to scream Rashad and Jason, okay? Because we need to let them know that we appreciate them. So 2468, who do we appreciate? I feel like we could have done that a little bit louder. I feel like we could have, the Bible study only had six people and they did it louder. No, I'm just playing. We didn't, we didn't do it then. But for real, let's, get, let's show them that we appreciate them, okay? Two, four, six, eight, who do we appreciate? Amen. Those are two men that have given up their lives to help lead us in ours, okay? And that's something that we should forever be thankful for. And grateful for. Now, I've got to pray real quick too. I know we're getting into a lot of prayer, but that's wonderful because I got to get me out of here. For some reason, I'm nervous. I preach every week, and right now, I'm nervous. So, so Father God, I just want to thank you, Father, for every person that's here, Lord, for every person that's going to hear this message over Facebook, Father. Lord God, I just thank you for your faithfulness, Father, for your for your friendship and for your fellowship that you've offered us through your Word. Lord God, I ask that as I bring this message, Lord, that I would decrease and that you would increase, Father. I ask that it would be your words and your message that is spoken today, Father. They don't want to hear from Nick, Lord. They came to hear from you. So, Father God, I just ask that hearts would be opened, eyes would be opened, and that hearts would be willing to receive the message. Lord, when I preach, I preach to convict, and it's usually to convict myself. And if others are convicted, that's great. And I just ask that through that conviction, Lord, we would learn to use that to our advantage. Father God, once again, I just thank you for every ear that's under my voice right now, Lord, and let them be under your command. It's in Jesus' name and by his blood that we pray. Amen. So first of all, I want to start off with James 5.16 before we get into today's message. It says... Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And I have sinned to confess. And I've confessed it to the people that were involved directly. I've confessed it to people that were involved indirectly. But see, this here says confess your sins to one another. And to the one another means your church family, your church brethren, and you guys are my basic. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. So, does anybody notice that this year's been pretty rough? It's been a rough year. I don't know if it's just been me, but I think it's been rough on pretty much all of us in one way or another. There's been many emotional situations that have gone on. There's been many things that have let us realize that God not only knows the plans that he has for us, but that those plans usually do not look anything like our plans. I guarantee you if you go back to 2015 and you were asked that question, where will your life be in five years, and you, you had an answer. Did 2020 look like the answer you gave? Absolutely not. It didn't even look like the same from December to January as I had planned out, and I don't think it did for anybody else. And see, during that time, 
I let my emotions that were flying high get in the way of me equipping, edifying, and exalting. Because I let my emotions react and respond on post. I posted some things that were less than favorable. And as a leader, as someone that people look to, I, I just, I honestly want to say I'm sorry. Because I failed in that situation. And when I was asked if I could speak today and ask the topic of, he said, I want you to speak on what it takes to actually be a Christian. Well, this is one of the things that it takes to be a Christian. It says to confess our sins. And see, look what it says. It says, and pray for one another. So when someone confesses their sins, not just to God, because the word tells us that, but to one another, we have to pray for one another. We have to pray for their strength and for their growth in that area. And that's the main thing that I, that I thought of when, when he said, what is it that we need as Christians? And it's growth. And it's gone right along with the themes that he's been preaching on. See, we have to grow in Christ. And guys, I need prayers for growth. I need prayers for growth because I'm on the same walk that every single one of you are on. And Jesus told us that this walk was not going to be a cakewalk. He said it's going to be a faith walk. He said this is not a wide and broad path, but it's narrow and difficult, right? And sometimes we need people to come alongside us as accountability partners and to keep us on that path. And I thank God that I have a pastor that's willing to call me out on my stuff. And say, look, bro, how is this edifying? How is this exalting? How is this equipping the saints for the ministry, right? I'm so thankful that I have a pastor. Because a lot of pastors want to tickle your ears. But see, Rashad wants to lead us to the Lord. And guys, the way that we show true appreciation is through growth. Is through growing into what I call from the verse that we're going to be in, the calms of Christ. Now, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, But as you know, it, at, at Coder, we preach context. We preach context. Context is everything. So the church of Corinth is who Paul is speaking to right now. You see that he planted this church in Acts 18, right? It, it shows the story of that. And Paul's preaching to this church for three main reasons, okay? He's preaching because this church is wobbly, worldly, and wicked, okay? And what I mean by wobbly is that it's new. Have you ever seen a deer right after it's first born? What does that deer do? It lays around, doesn't it? That deer lays around because it's not able to walk on its own yet. And yes, it can stand hours after birth, but it still can't get around. And for the first week of its life, it doesn't have the strength required for it to be able to flee from enemies, right? It doesn't have the strength. Well, our Christian walk is just the same. Now, see, there's other animals. See, deers are called hiders because what happens in that first week of their life is the mom gets them all clean, right? But see, God has it so perfectly planned out because he knows this deer doesn't have the capabilities of fleeing from the enemy, right? Because that's what we're told in the word is to flee from the enemy and he will, or what's it say? Resist the devil and he will flee from us, right? But we don't have that strength of resistance yet and we don't have the ability to get away from him yet. So God in all of his wisdom will protect us in that just the way he did the deer. Because see, the mom cleans the deer and now her scent's off of it. And the baby deer doesn't produce any scent, Okay, there's no scent that it produces, so it can lay and hide, and what the mother does is it leaves. Now, see, many people will come out and think, oh, man, here's an abandoned baby deer. But see, the mother's leaving to protect its child. See, sometimes God does that in the middle of our test. He doesn't necessarily leave, but we may not hear his voice, right? It may not seem like he's right there with us. But he's doing it to protect us, and he's doing it to help give us the strength to be able to walk this walk with him so that we can resist, and that we can grow, and that we can build one another up, right? So see, he's put all that detail and all that tension in, into protecting 
a newborn deer, how much more attention do you think he's going to put in protecting a newborn person in Christ? Right? Because, see, our Heavenly Father points us to nature so often throughout the book, and there's reasons in that. But, guys, he took a church that was wobbly, new, couldn't stand on its own, a church that's worldly. This church Paul addresses throughout this scripture that they're abusing spiritual gifts. They're using tongues way out of context. They're arguing over baptism. There's all kinds of doctrinal debates and spiritual gifts that are being abused in this church, right? So it's worldly. And it's also wicked. This is a place that is filled with sexual immorality. Corinth was a melting pot. It's kind of like modern-day New York City, right? It was, it's located on an isthmus, and there's the Saronic Sea and the Sea of Corinth on either side. So this became a major hub for trade, a major hub for business, and it was also home to the Isthmian Games, so it became a major hub for tourists. So in that, you have many characters, cultures, and customs all coming together, right? In, in the city of Corinth, there was a... Uh, a temple built to Aphrodite, which was the goddess of love, which tells you why there was so much sexual impurity. But see, those words that I used weren't describing the worldly people in Corinth. They were describing the church, right? And see, a lot of us miss that. In 2 Timothy 3, where Paul's talking to Timothy, and he says that in the end days, people will be backbiters, revilers. They'll be... Uh, Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, right? He's saying all those things. He's not talking about the world. He's talking about the church and how all of those things and ideologies have entered in. And what does he say? He says, from such, stay away, right? Because, see, the church is about growth. The church is about coming into our own as Christians so that what? We can lead others into their own as Christians, right? Isn't that the whole goal? To go ye therefore and teach, making disciples of all nations and baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? See, we weren't called to come here and sit. We were called to go out and serve, right? We were called to go out and serve, but a lot of us allow the church house to be the basket that our light is hidden under, and we can't do that, guys. We cannot do that. So why, why do you think God would choose a place like Corinth that's wobbly, worldly, and wicked to plant a church. Probably the same reason, and this is just me in conjecture, but probably the same reason that he chose a humble, small town like Bethlehem to birth the Savior of the world. Does that seem like a likely, you would think that Jerusalem would be where the Savior would come from, right? Big city, known for religion. But see, Christ did not come for religion. Christ came for relationship. If you see and read in the Gospels, when Christ went looking for disciples, he wasn't in the synagogues of saints. He was in the sea of sinners. Right? He did not come for those who were well. Isn't that what he said? He said, the well aren't in need of a physician. Right? He said, but it's the sick who need a doctor. I don't know about y'all, but I'm still sick. I still fall short, and I truly and humbly want to seek forgiveness for that. I want you guys to realize that just as you, I'm a Christian that's in need of growth just as much as anybody else in this room, but this is a walk that we're supposed to make together. When Jesus sent out the disciples, he didn't send them out by themselves. He sent them out in pairs, right? Because we need accountability. We need people to lean on. When Moses had his arms raised... They were winning, right? But what happened? When he put them down because he grew weary because of the struggle and the fight, they started losing. So his brothers, Aaron and Hur, came up beside him and held his arms. See, sometimes we need our brothers and sisters to come beside us and hold our arms up so that we can maintain and keep moving towards the victory that we have in Christ. Right? Because we can either be victims through what the word world says about us, or we can be victors through what the word says about us. But we have to make that decision. We have to decide what it is that we're going to grow in, right? And a lot of us, as you see nowadays, 
There's a lot of people growing in hate and not love. Is that supposed to be a reflection of the church? Because it's not a reflection of Christ. Christ was love, is love, right? We serve a living God, one that conquered the grave. So that means his love is still alive, but are we allowing it to live in and through us? Right? That's a question we have to ask. So the section of scripture that we're in, because Paul said one of the main problems with Corinth was that it, it, the church was reflecting the community more than it was reflecting Christ. Okay? And he says that their main two problems were pride and lack of genuine agape love. So today we're going to be in what's known as the love chapter. And Paul paints a clear portrait to the Corinthians of what godly love looks like. He tells them all the things it is and the things that it is not, right? So he gives them a picture, and then look at what he does. The verse that we're looking at, which is 1311, he paints us a picture of how to enter into the calms of Christ and how to grow in the calms of Christ. So let's look at what the verse says. It says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. The first thing he's talking about here is when I was a child. And what Paul's doing is he's likening his growth in his maturing in Christ to his growth and maturing in life, right? And the word nepios is what the Greek word here for child is, and it means a simple-minded, unlearned, unenlightened, immature person, okay? So that's the picture that he's painting of us in our youth, but that's also a picture that he's painting of us newly being converted to Christ, right? So he's painting us a picture of what a babe in Christ looks like. What does John 3 tell us? John 3 tells us when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, what must I do? He says that you have to be reborn, right? And Nicodemus is like, yo, how can I, what, what am I supposed to do? Go back in my mother's womb? But see, he misunderstood because our first birth is when we're begotten. But our second birth is when we're adopted, okay? It's when we're adopted into the family of Christ. It's when we're adopted into fellowship with the Father. So he says that we must reborn. Matthew eleven twenty five speaks of children like this. Jesus says that he is thankful that God will reveal to babes what he did not to benefactors. And what that means is, is just what I talked about a second ago. Jesus wasn't in the synagogue searching for the Pharisees because they didn't need the doctor. They didn't need the physician. They were self-righteous, self-important, and self-centered, right? So they didn't want what Christ had to offer. But he revealed to fishermen, to tax collectors, what he wouldn't to the religious zealots. See, that should tell us something right there. That should speak to our hearts. Because Christ came for us babies. In Isaiah 3, 4, he says these words. He says, I will make boys their princes, and infants shall rule over them. Now, those boys as princes reminds me of a little story from the Old Testament where Samuel was sent out, right, to go look for the next king, the successive king after Saul. Because Saul had been taken out of his anointment, right? Still in a place of appointment, but out of his anointment. And he says, go to Jesse. He says, one of his sons I'm going to choose. And boy, what's, what's Jesse do? He starts lining up the biggest, baddest, and firstborn, and then goes down the line, and God keeps, no, that's not him. That's not him. No, not him either. And then he gets to where he's went through seven sons, and he's like, do you have another son? Because God told me this is where I'm going to find the one 
But all the sons that you presented to me, he's not here. And he's like, oh, yeah, David, he's out. No, but he's just a shepherd. What's God going to want with him? And, and he says, go get him. Go get him. Right? See, we can never underestimate who God wants to use. And we should never stand in the way of it. So they went and got him, and he brought this little boy, this little teenager, David, in front of him. And God said, that's the one right there. For he is a man after my own heart. See, guys, we have to grow to where we're chasing after God's heart. And one last thing I want to mention about children. Jesus says these words in Matthew 18, 3. He says, assuredly, I say to you, unless you change and become as little children, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. But wait up, hold on. We're talking about growth, right? But Jesus just told us to become children. Like, hold on, gee, I'm an adult. Why do you want me to become a child? Well, let me show you a picture of Paul's growth as recorded in Scripture. Because this seems backwards that he's telling us to become like children. But look at what Paul says about his own spiritual growth in Scripture. This is consecutive. He says in Ephesians 3.8 that he is the least of the saints. Right? This is one of his earliest writings. Then in 1 Corinthians, this same book we're in right now, 15.9, he says that he's the least of the apostles. So first he's the least of the saints. Now he's the least of the apostles. He knows that he's been appointed to this position by God, and yet he's still saying, I am the least of these people. And then finally in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says these words about his Christian growth. I am the chief of sinners. Do you see how that progression seems backwards in our eyes? He went from the least of the saints to the least of the apostles. Now he's the chief of sinners. But see, what we have to recognize is that the closer we get to Christ and the closer we come to God, the more that we realize within ourselves that we're nothing like him. Without him working in us, we're wicked. We're wobbly. And we're worldly, right? So it takes a change to become a child. But why does he say to become like a child? And many of you guys know my daughter, Lindley. So if I put Lindley right here on the edge of this thing, and I'm sitting in the front row, and I say, Lindley, jump to me, she's going to jump. She's going to take that leap of faith because she knows her daddy's going to catch her. So how come when we're standing on the edge, and we don't know what's out there, but we know our Father's waiting, why won't we take that leap of faith? Because we don't have the trust of a child. We don't have the obedience of a child. We don't have the devotion that a child has to always pleasing their parents, right? Because that was one of the things that you sought after the most as a child was the approval of your parents. But now we have our heavenly father and we're not trying to please him. We should be trying to please him in everything we do. And that's why I feel so convicted for falling short because I should be grown past that. But see, when we get out of fellowship, when we, COVID had us out of church, right? I was still in the word. I was still at the... But see, I need this relationship. I need this fellowship. I need you guys because you're my family. Right? See, they did a study on love, and they took a thousand children, and they offered them no kind of coddling, no kind of love. All they did was feed them and change their diaper. That's it. And you know what happened in this study? The children started dropping at such, they were dying from a lack of love that they quit the experiment. See, we need this love for life. Love is what leads to life. The Word tells us that God is love, and the Word tells us that God is life. So it only makes sense that for us to have life, we need to have love, right? Love for one another. And boy, how much does a child love their parents? But see, guys, here's one thing that we have to remember. Babies are not pure. The Word tells us that we were conceived 
in iniquity from our mother's womb, right? Aren't those the words of David? Babies are not pure. We've got another little illustration from Lindley. So we're in the mall the other day picking out shoes. Lindley sees these boots that she wants, right? She's like, oh, boots, want them. She pulls them off the shelf, sits down, kicks her shoes off, puts those boots on, rips the tag off the boots, grabs her shoes and the tag, throws them back into the box, puts the lid back on, puts the box back on the shelf and says, let's go. <laughs> I, said, I said, Hannah, we better watch out. We have got a criminal in the making right here. My Lord. <laughs> but see, even at such a young age, she's impure. We are born into sin. You know what she thinks one of the funniest things in the world to do is? Hurt you. For some reason, she thinks that is a hoot. But it's because she has to grow. Because, see, babies aren't pure, but they also don't remain babies. Right? See, Lindley right now doesn't understand that that's wrong. But without mature adults in her life coming along beside her and teaching her, is she ever going to learn? No. Is she ever going to apply? No. She's not. See, that's why this fellowship is so important. But see, here's something I noticed about children, right? Like when Lindley was learning to walk, she'd get up and she'd fall. But did we condemn her for falling or did we praise her in her efforts see so often we'll lead someone to Christ or be surrounded by newborns in Christ and what we'll do is we'll pick out every fault instead of every time they fly right and not even more than that is guys we'll look at the lost and expect them to walk like our Lord and we'll look at sinners and expect them to act like saints and say, no, we don't want that person in the church. Well, guess what? That's who Jesus dined with, those people. It wasn't the people in the synagogues, the one there teaching the word of God. It was the ones who were lost in the world. Because he said, I love you where you're at, but I love you enough not to leave you where you're at. Right? See, any church should say, come as you are. But a church that's preaching the gospel won't have you leaving as you were. Right? There's going to be growth. There's going to be change. Now, let's look at the verse here. It says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought as a child. I reasoned as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Right? So what does he first mention? He first mentioned spoke. So he is talking about our communication, right? And see, that's the area that I fell short in, was communication. And see, what does the Bible say about the matter of communication? Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, guys, whatever we're feeling and full of in our hearts is what's going to come out in our words. So if our heart is full of hate, we're going to spew hate. We're going to spew distrust. We're going to spew disobedience. But when our heart is filled with love, we're going to speak love. We're going to speak grace. Proverbs 10.11 says the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. You know, another verse says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. So what are we speaking to? What are we speaking on? Life or death? Because, see, our words can either lead people to life or they can lead people away from his light. And we have to be very careful about that. And this is, again, an area that I've failed in. Look at this. Matthew 12, 37 says that we will be justified or condemned by the words that come out of our mouths. Right? 
See, a lot of people say, where does the Bible talk about cussing? Where does the Bible talk about cussing? But when Peter was in the middle of denying Christ, and the woman kept saying, no, no, he was with them. He was with that Nazarene. He's part of that clique. What did Peter do to finally convince them that he wasn't part of it? He started cussing. Because even the Gentiles knew that if you were walking with Jesus, you weren't going to be talking like that. How come so many of us in the church don't know that? Because, see, here's the deal. Once you claim Christ into your life, whether you like it or not, the eyes of the world are now on you. The eyes of the world are now on you. They're looking at you and the way you act and the way you live, and they're going to say to themselves, well, he, he said he gave his life to the Lord, but he still lives exactly the same way as he did before he came to the Lord. What do I need Jesus for? Because they're not seeing growth. They're not seeing growth. And what we are to grow in, this whole chapter, is on nothing but love. So our communication needs to grow in love. Look at this. Proverbs 15.4 says, Gentle words bring life and health, and a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. James tells us that the tongue is a fire, and it's a fire from hell that no man can control, right? But with God, all things are possible. But see, us under our own power, we're not going to be able to control our tongues. But see, then James goes on and he likens it to putting a bridle in a horse's mouth, right? Horse is a big creature. It's very powerful, hard to control. But you get that bridle in that mouth and you pull back and that bit gets up there, guess what happened? Now you can control the horse's whole body. Now you can decide the direction that it travels in. And see, he tells us that because it works the same way with us. Once we learn how to get our mouth and our words under control, it's easier for us to get the rest of our life under control. It's easier for, easier for us to steer the direction that we're headed in, that Jesus is leading us to, right? So that's something that we always have to remember. Gentle words bring life and health, and a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. That's that fire. And James says that we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I know you've all heard the, the old adage a million times. You got two ears and one mouth, which means you should what? Listen twice as much as you talk. Right? But here's the deal. Are you listening to respond, or are you listening to understand? Because, see, when you listen to respond, you might respond in anger. You might respond with wrath. You might respond in a way that's less favorable than someone who's walking with Christ. But when you're listening to understand, now you're listening from a place of compassion. Now you're listening from a place of grace. Now you're listening from a place of mercy. Now you're listening from a place of love. And your response is going to be filled with those things. Right? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Paul said to the church of Coloss in 4.6, Colossians 4.6, he said, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, why would he tell us to season our speech with salt? Well, why do we season food with salt? Makes it taste better, right? It's easier to chew on. It's easier to swallow. Right? And you know something else about salt? It keeps you wanting to come back for more. Because why? It creates a thirst. See, that's what we're supposed to do with our speech. We're supposed to speak in such a way that it creates a thirst into the unbelievers that we encounter. And they're like, yo, I want some of what he's got. What's on his plate that's filling him up with love and grace and mercy? Because I need some of that in my diet. Right? See, guys, we have to grow in our communication and we have to grow in love. But see, one part of communication that we often fall short in is prayer. Now, here's the deal. How many of y'all are married? We're going to have a little group participation. Anybody in here married? How many of y'all married somebody that you never spent any time with or spoke to? No hands. Imagine that. 
So why do we expect us to grow in a relationship with God if we don't spend any time in communication with him? Right? If his goal was to come for relationship, not religion, are we spending time building and growing in that relationship? Because Paul told us in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he said to pray without ceasing. And that means prayer should be a lifestyle, not a life vest. That means the only time that you go to prayer when you're using it as a life vest is when it seems like everything's falling apart. But see, when you use prayer as a lifestyle, you praise God in the rain, you praise him in the storm, you praise him in the sun, you praise him when the light's shining, and you praise him when you feel like you're surrounded by darkness. See, because here's the deal. We're told in Matthew that the sun and the rain fall on the just and the unjust alike. So see, we can't see what's really going on by outward circumstances. And that's why God said, yo, that's the one in that little boy David, because God doesn't look as man looks at outward appearances. God looks to the heart, right? And you want to know something that I learned about communication in this study? Do you know how much of our communication is actually verbal? Is actually the words that come out of our mouth? 7%. 7% of our communication is actually what we're speaking. The other 93% is spread out in two categories. 55% of what we are saying is body language. That's over half. Over half of what we say is in how we say it and present it. Right? Then the other 38% is tone of voice. And see, that's why falling short on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat is so important. Because two of the most important things about communication, you can't see over Facebook. You can't see on an Instagram post. So whether you're doing it just playing and having fun, those people can't see your body language. They can't hear your tone. So all they see is what you've presented. Right? So see, we have to grow in that, guys. And Jesus was a master communicator. And though this study right here is recent, Jesus showed us this in the text. Right? He showed him. Look at Mary at the wedding. She came up and she said, man, our people are out of wine. What did Jesus say? He said, woman, what does that problem have to do with me? My time has not yet come. Now, if you go based solely off Jesus' words, you're going to respond with rejection, right? Because that feels like a rejection. I don't know about y'all. But I would feel rejected if he said that to me. But look at how Mary responded. Right after that, what did she do? She looked at the servants and she said, whatever he says to you, go and do. See, there was something about the way Jesus presented that that left her open to perseverance. That left her open to responding in faith. Same thing with the Syrophoenician woman. He said, look, I can't, feed, I can't feed a dog while I'm feeding the children. Right there, I'd have been turned off like this dude just called me a dog. But see, something about the picture he painted and the word that he chose, see, because he wasn't talking about a wild wilderness dog. He was talking about a family pet. So he painted a picture there with his words, with his body language, with his tone that made her persevere and say, man, even the dogs eat the crumbs. And he said, it's because of your faith that I'm going to grant you this, right? All Jesus was trying to do was give his disciples a little rest, right? And this woman came seeking restoration, not for herself, but for somebody else. And see, that's where that pray for one another comes into. See, we, to love like Christ, we have to put the needs of others before ourselves. And what does that take? It takes the next slide. <laughs> it says that we are to grow. He says, I thought, right? 
So this word in the Greek is actually phreneo, and it means moderate from within, and inner perspective showing itself in corresponding outward behavior. I think Raj Rashad says it a little more gracefully in the BBB, belief birth behavior. Right? Belief birth behavior. This is application. So we've talked about growing in our communication, but now we have to grow in our application of God's word in our lives. James 1.22 tells us to be what? Doers of the word and not just hearers only. And look at the end of that verse. It says, deceiving yourselves. Right? Doers of the word. Because James also tells us that faith without works is dead. Now, a lot of people misinterpret these verses and they say, yo, I got to work for my salvation and I got to work my way to heaven. But here's what you don't understand in those verses. You are not working for your salvation. You are working from your salvation. And the work that you are doing should be in love. And let me tell you this, you should not be working for love, but you should be working from love. Everything that you do should flow from the abundance of your heart. And if your heart is filled with Jesus Christ, it's going to be filled with love. So everything that we do will come out as love. See, guys, we have to grow in our application. Rashad spoke on this verse last week, Matthew 7, 21. It says that everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall not enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. But notice right after that, the people that he's speaking to say, well, haven't we done this? Haven't we done that? Haven't we done this? See, they were putting all their faith in their works that they had completed and not the completed works of Christ. Right? Because once he goes to that cross, once he conquers death and is raised again, now we have victory. Now we have salvation that we can't earn, that we don't deserve, but that he offers to us freely. Look at this, guys. Look at this. It was because of Paul's application of the scriptures in his life that he was able to write verses such as 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, where he says, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. Now, without him growing in communication and application, could he say words like that? Absolutely not. That's a bold statement to make, to say, follow me as I follow Christ. How many of us can put our hands up and say that we'd be comfortable in saying that today? Notice my hand's going down. Because this walk is difficult. This walk is hard. We've got an enemy that doesn't give up. If you look to the temptations of Jesus, when it was over, in one of the Gospels, it says that he left him for a season. It doesn't say that the devil flees for good. But it does say that when we resist him, he will flee. But here's the deal. When you look at the, the parable of the clean house, when the devil leaves... He doesn't come back empty-handed because you've cleaned the house. He comes back with seven friends so they can start a party. Right? Because his goal is to get you away from Christ, to get you away from growing in your communication and your application, and to get you to not be able to say words like Philippians 4, 9, where Paul says, what you have learned, what you have received, what you have heard, and what you have seen in me, practice these things. See, God doesn't, or the devil, I'm sorry, misspoke. The devil does not want us to apply God's word in our life because it is through application that we can lead others to salvation. It is through our application that we can lead others to salvation. Now we're going to go on to the next slide. He next mentions that I reasoned as a child, and this is logosomahi, and it is the root word for our English word logic. And what that is, it's the way that we think. It's the way 
that we take our communication and our application and that we think about it and use it in our lives, okay? There must be a change here, right? Jesus said, unless you change and become as a child. Well, what does Philippians 4.8 tell us about our thinking? It says to think on things that are good, that are honorable, that are pure, that are excellent, right? That are true. See, it tells us to think on those things. And that tells us the power of thought, right? Because a couple verses before that, it says be anxious for nothing. And that's another way of thinking, isn't it? Being anxious is a way of thinking. But it's a way of thinking that shows we're not trusting. Right? See, we have to grow in our logic. Mark 9.23, Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. See, but he had to have a change in thinking. Right? Because you see what happened when Peter got off the boat and he started walking. He's out on the water. He's walking. He said, Lord, if it's you, let me come down. The Lord did what he asked, but what happened? His thinking changed, which made his focus change, which made his faith change. You see how that progressed? His thinking changed because he quit looking at Christ and started looking at his circumstances, which made his faith change. Because he's already out walking on the water, so obviously the wind and the waves had absolutely nothing to do with him walking on that water. He was already doing it. But because of his lack of focus, now he's changed his faith. And see, guys, that's how we show that we're growing is our focus is continuously on Christ. And it's continuously leading us to grow in Christ. Romans 12, 2 tells us to not be conformed by this world but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that's a daily thing because that word renewing is something that's ongoing. It's used in the perfect tense right there. So that's something that we do today, we do tomorrow. Jesus said what? Pick up your cross daily. He didn't say pick it up sometimes. He didn't say just pick it up on Sunday mornings before you come to church. He said pick it up daily and follow me, right? Follow me. Romans 8, 6 says this, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. What do you want? Do you want a life filled with death? Or do you want a life filled with life and peace? Because, see, here's the deal. The Bible tells us that we're in a battle. That battle doesn't stop once we come to Christ. But it also doesn't mean that we can't have peace in the middle of that war. Because Jesus Christ said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. See, something about peace on earth is it can get messed up real quickly, can it? Somebody can say the wrong thing. Somebody can respond in the wrong way. Right? Somebody can say something that you don't like, and all of a sudden, the peace that you had between each other turns into animosity, which turns into anger, which turns into wrath. You see how that goes? See, we got to change, guys. We got to grow. Look at changing our thinking. 2 Corinthians 10, 5b says to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And see, this is such an important thing that we miss. This verse is telling us that we cannot stop the thoughts. The thoughts are going to come because our mind is a battlefield. I believe it was was General Patton who said that the most important six inches on a battlefield to occupy are the six inches between your ears. The six inches between, and this is where the enemy attacks. And what these verses are telling us is that We can't stop the thoughts, but we can stop those thoughts from becoming actions. Because see what happens, this is how our minds work. Thoughts become cravings. Cravings become actions. Actions become habits, and habits become addictions. And the Word of God tells us that the only thing we should be addicted to is the Word of God. That's the only thing that should have a controlling force in our lives. 
That's the only thing that should move us to love. And that should move us into what the next part of this verse says. And it says, next I became a man. And this is the word genomahi. And it means a manifestation implying motion, movement, and maturing and or growth. Right? It means a change of condition, state, or place. And see, now we've come from what, Je- what did Jesus say the Pharisees were? Children of disobedience, children of wrath. He said that that was even us in our original state of sin, right? He said, but now we've been moved from that to children of God, but it takes us maturing in love and communicating in love, applying his scripture in our lives in love so that we can teach others to apply it to their lives in love. And then it takes us changing our logic and our thinking. Because here, I want to tell you guys something right now. Our president and the first lady were just diagnosed with COVID, right? Everybody knows that, I'm sure. He's at Walter Reed. Says he's doing good from what everybody has posted. But I see people that are Christians on Facebook and Twitter, social media, saying, good, he got what he deserved. I hope it kills him. Have they changed their thinking? Have they changed their communication? Have they changed in their application of God's word? Because, see, here's the deal. What they're doing is they're meeting hate with more hate. And I think Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke on that in one of the best ways I've ever heard. He said, you cannot drive out hate with hate. Only love can do that. So in making statements like that, we're becoming the very same thing that we say we're opposing. How does that make any sense? Regardless of your feelings for the person of Donald Trump, he's still our president. And he's still made in the image of God. So regardless of how you feel personally, you should still be filled passionately for him with love. Okay, because Romans 13 says that if he's in power, God put him there. Okay, and the same thing is true with Joe Biden. Now, I've posted things that poke fun at both of them. If you know me and know my heart, I'm just playing. But see, what I talked about earlier is why I shouldn't post those things. Because people on social media, they don't know my heart. They don't see the tone of voice or the body language behind it. And all they see is the post. And so that can cause division and strife. So that's, that's why I fell short in those areas. And that's why I'm extremely sorry for falling short in those areas. Because I should be a better example than that. And regardless of whether it was done out of fun or whatever, it doesn't matter. It was still me falling. It was still me failing. Right? And that's why I'm seeking forgiveness. Because I know and I expect more of that than myself. And, and something that you'll see in your Christian walk is that often you're going to become your worst critic and your biggest enemy. See, sometimes we have to get out of our own way and let God work and let God move and let God transform because we get so used to handling everything that we forget what it's like to let go and to trust and to leap into the arms of our Father, not worrying about falling because we know that he'll catch us, right? So, guys, we have to mature in Christ we have to grow and this is how we show our appreciation to our pastors that have given up everything to pour their heart and soul and love into this church family because that's what they've done they have poured their hearts and souls into ministering to us and the way that we show them appreciation is through growth right now let's look at the last Slide. He says that I gave up childish things. So this shows that 
We're growing in love and communication, application, logic, through maturing and growth. And it's all because of a process that we enter into called sanctification. See, once again, this, this verse puts me in mind of Lindley. When we tell Lindley at home to pick up her toys, she doesn't get every single toy all at once and take them all to the basket. No, she bends down and grabs one thing and carries it to the, and then goes back and gets another thing and carries it. And then comes back and, well, she might start playing with something because she forgot what she was doing. But she'll still keep going until those toys are cleaned up. Why don't we have that same perseverance in cleaning up our own lives, in working through this process of sanctification? See, we don't have to get it all right at once, but we have to keep going and picking things up and putting them back in the box or at the feet of the cross because that's what that box represents to me. And here's the thing. Once we lay it down, don't pick it back up. Leave it there. Leave it at his feet where it belongs. Because that's where we get our faith, our fellowship, and our relationship with our Father. And you know the beautiful thing about sanctification is that it is a process and not a performance. This is an area that we will grow in, that impurities will continue to be removed, but it's an area of our lives that requires some work from us. Because, see, if we're image bearers of God, then we have to reflect the love of God in every situation that we encounter through our communication, through our application of his word, and through our thinking. 2 Timothy 2.21 says this, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So see, through this process of sanctification and setting ourselves apart, this is how we work towards holiness. This is how we grow in holiness is through this process of sanctification. And look at what it says. It says we will become set apart as holy and we will become useful to the master. See, so often we pray the prayer, God, use me, and we forget to pray the prayer, God, make me usable. God, remove the things in my life that are killing the you in me. Break my heart for the things that are breaking yours. And let me be set apart as holy so I can be useful to you in what? Ready for every good work. Well, what is the good work? It's the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach. See, a lot of us look at church growth and we think about it in growing attendance instead of in grooming ambassadors. Right? Because isn't that what we're called to do? How many people in this room know who Edward Kimball is? You were in first, that's, you're cheating. I'm done with it. <laughs> this, you guys got to watch this guy. I'm telling you now. Does anybody know who Edward Kimball is? Have you ever heard of somebody called D.L. Moody? He's pretty well-known Christian, has his own college, has his own radio station. Well, if it wasn't for Edward Kimball, D.L. Moody never would have came to the Lord. Right? And if it wasn't for D.L. Moody... Chapman never would have came to the Lord. And if it wasn't for Chapman, Franklin Graham never would have came to the Lord. So see, our legacy in the Lord is not just in what we do, but it's in who we lead to him. Because without the unknown Kimball, we wouldn't have the well-known Moody and Graham. See, it was through Kimball's ministry that allowed all those other greats to be led to the Lord. But see, so often we'll say to ourselves, well, we're babes, we don't know enough to go teach somebody about God. You know what? Lost people 
usually don't know that Jesus was the Son of God. They don't know that he came and died for our sins, and they don't know that his salvation is available to everyone. So if you know those three things, you know more than they do. When Jesus healed the demon-possessed man, the demon-possessed man said, yo, I want to come with you. What did Jesus say? He said, no, go back and tell the people what I've done for you. See, guys, Jesus isn't about only education. He's about that experience. See, he said, you've had a life-changing experience with your Lord and Savior. Go tell people about it. Go tell people about it. See, as I'm, as I'm getting ready to close and we're getting ready to have the worship team come up, they're going to sing a song called Who You Say I Am. And it's all about us growing in these areas of our lives to the point where we believe what he says about us. And guys, I want to make a challenge because it says 2468, who do we appreciate? So that puts me in mind of cheerleaders. But see, a lot of us will come to church and cheerlead for Rashad, but we won't hit the community and cheerlead for God. Man, it's quiet now, isn't it? Even the cricket quit chirping. So I'm challenging us, guys. Let's not just keep what we're learning here, but let's take it to the world and let's allow it to do what the disciples did and change the world. And we do that by changing individuals. Because, see, you can't change a community without changing the people that are in it. Right? So let's start with ourselves. Let's practice it in our homes. And then let's preach it in our streets. I love you guys. I thank you for allowing me to come. I thank you for allowing me to speak. And I thank you for listening. I hope you... Uh, you got as much out of this message as I did because, boy, it broke me down. Love you guys. Let me get this out of your way. If you want to stand and sing this last song with us.
going to close in prayer. And I just, I just want us to, to think about the areas in our life this week that we need to grow. And, you know, Rashad's told us to learn one thing, do one thing, and then teach one thing. And that's what I've tried to do with this scripture this week was apply it and learn and grow in those areas before I came and preached it. And that's what I ask that you all do this week is to go out and show your appreciation and your love for what Rashad and Jason have done here at Coder through your growth in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Father God, we thank you for every person that's here today, Lord. We thank you for every person that was able to watch over the live feed. Father God, we just thank you for every way that you move, for every way that you work, not only in us, but through us. Father God, we, we received a convicting message this morning. Father, not only, I mean, myself included, it convicted me. And Lord God, I just ask that we would use that conviction as motivation. Lord, motivation to continue maturing and growing in Christ, showing that we appreciate what our pastors do for us in the way that we live our lives. Growing in a way, Father, where others will meet us and come to know him. Because, Lord, we are supposed to be the reflection of your son. And, Lord God, we were made in your image. So, Father, when we leave this church, let us go out and be image bearers. Father, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name and by his blood that we pray. Amen. This podcast is a ministry of Church on the Rock in Brownsburg, Indiana. If you want any more information about our church family, our pastor, or where we meet, please visit our website, www dot churchontherockbb.com